And welcome to episode number 35 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and with me is Shane, and we are amateur astronomers that uh, do these podcasts as, uh, as basically a podcast of our ongoing, our own sort of personal journey of amateur astronomy. We've been doing it for uh, quite a long time, and uh, we have these conversations pretty much anyway, and it was Shane's idea to kind of start putting them out as, as a podcast, and it's, it's been a lot of fun and uh, really not that much work. And, and I think the lack of effort is really going to be shown today in the objects <laughs> to observe in the night sky for August of 2020. How are you this afternoon, Shane? I am all right. How about you? I'm doing good. I nearly forgot that this was the episode uh, for our monthly objects to observe podcast. And uh, I kind of started to sketch out some other, and I was like, wait a second. We've got to tell people what to go look at in the night sky uh, at least once a month. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you remembered because I forgot. <laughs> well, I figured I would do this, and I would I, like actually. What happened was I started to compose it, and then I thought I'm going to send this to Shane. He's going to say that's great, but what about actually what we should be doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, at least we didn't both forget about it. That's yeah. That's good. So my mount apparently is somewhere perhaps even in Canada. I'm, oh. I'm really, really looking forward to it. I don't think I mentioned this um, in, in the last episode there that we, that we just recorded, but I was out observing last night and um, I've got that pretty heavy Altaz mount. It's, it's about an eight or a 10 pound mount head and I've got it mounted to a cherry tripod um, that Rudolf Dorner of the Rudolf Dorner um, Telescope Museum uh, had made back uh, before I was on this earth. And, uh, and had, had gifted it to me one night while observing in Ontario. But anyway, um, as you know, like that mount kind of threads onto an adapter on top of the tripod, just like most mounts uh, do. Um, this one was customized though, and, and so uh, you can secure it quite well uh, to the tripod. But last night, for whatever reason, I couldn't, it, it seemed to stay a little bit loose. And so I messed with it a little bit. It was still a little loose. I thought, whatever, I'm not going to worry about it that much. I'm just going to do an hour, hour and a half, whatever I end up doing. And, uh, and at one point, I, I rotated the telescope, and it seemed to really uh, bite. And oh. I thought, that's kind of interesting, but it seems super stable now. Well, then when I went to take it down, I could not get the mount head off of the tripod. It was, it had, like like bound or like somehow bind it to the, uh, to the adapter. It was just totally stuck. So, so as I was mentioning, I've got these stitches in my back, of course. So I'm trying to like figure out a way I can't get it off. So I'm trying to manipulate the mount and the, and the tripod to go in the back. I have an SUV, but it's, you know, it's a very compact hatchback like SUV, as you know, and it's, it's really doesn't have, that much room in the trunk so i was like oh man am i gonna have to like you know leave it out here go back home although it's not that far <laughs> get the other get my wife's uh, larger vehicle and come back out and get the mount or what am i going to do and i just barely got it squeezed in the back i had like the the legs covered in dirt like almost on the ceiling and and anyway i got it home and uh, eventually did get it uh uh, you know, taken apart, but I was like, man, I really need that other mount. Um, cause this mount, first of all, it's, 
it's too much mount for the little telescope. And I think that's what it is. So I, so with my heavier telescope that I put on it, um, it seems like it, it weights down on the mount so I can, I can thread it in a little bit easier. Whereas this one, even when I'm threading it in, it still almost has like some play in it uh, just because the telescope isn't pushing it onto the mount or something. It, it just doesn't seem like it's, it's the right mount for this, for this telescope. I think last night really, really proved it to me as, as I uh, was kind of popping stitches at you know, one o'clock in the morning while trying to do all this. So that was fun. <laughs> sounds sounds awful <laughs> yeah yeah no it was it wasn't wasn't a great way to to end the session um but yeah it is it is what it is so hopefully within the next uh, couple weeks i'll i'll see that mount it's been kind of epic getting it uh my order is now getting on to two months um ago so so we'll see but uh and then i'll probably have to mess with that mount to get it working uh the way i want so I sent you a couple uh, images uh, from our friend Hal. Yeah, I don't know if you you had a chance to to take a quick look, but he uh, he's I out did. in BC, so he lived here in in Saskatchewan for a period of time. Uh, he was going to to the university here. He came to Canada and was going to uh, the University of Regina, and we had met up uh, here when he was he was going there, and uh, we were more involved in the astronomy club at that time, and. He became sort of one of our good observing friends, but uh, he has subsequently moved around a bunch, but he, he writes me frequently when the skies are good, he's able to get observing because he can't find other people to observe with um, in the places that he ends up going. Sometimes they're just super remote or, you know, he goes to a place and there are amateur astronomers, but they're not really into going out that much or, or for whatever reason is, isn't able to meet up with them. So uh Anyway, we, we stay in touch and uh, it was really neat to see. He got some pretty good shots of like the Milky Way through Cygnus, looks like. Yeah, what's, there's one photo, it's, uh, the, the subject was astronomy photos one and it's the last photo, is that, is that a double star? Yeah, I think that's a double of some sort. He didn't send me too, too much in the way of, uh, of details and he was sending these right before we started doing our recordings today. So I was like, oh man, I'm sorry, I got to, like go do stuff and I was just on my watch. Um, so I, I wasn't able to kind of uh, connect back with him and find out, but uh, I think yeah, it's Polaris. To... Oh, is it Polaris? Well, I think so because every star has a little bit of a trail in that photograph, except for the central star. Okay. You know, so, and, and Polaris is a real tight double, so that might be it. Huh. But yeah, I'm curious if uh, if he can confirm that or what he was looking. Yeah, at. I'll I'll write him back later and then see maybe we can we can tweet uh, some of the photos out. If, I'm sure he'll give us permission. Uh, you know, he's sending them to us for you know for for a reason, which is that I think he enjoys sharing uh, his astro photos and his observing experiences, just just like we do. Yeah, it's too bad he he was going to come to the uh, Saskatchewan Summer Star Party last year. I actually ended up going. Um, and one of the reasons was that he was, he and I were going to try to meet up there cause he was going to drive, drive over cause he's got, uh, some friends or family in, in Alberta. And then that didn't happen. So we were like, yeah, for sure. Like this year. And then of course this year is the pandemic. So, so that's not happening. Um, but hopefully like, I think he is getting a little bit more settled now. Like, you know, he just graduated from university a handful of years ago, I guess four or five years ago now, and, uh, sort of moving around trying to find more of like a permanent uh, place to kind of put down roots or whatever. I, I suppose it's, you know, I've gone through as well. And, uh, 
anyhow, so hopefully, hopefully in, in the coming years, once, uh, once he is, he'll be able to, to come over and, and do some observing with us. I know he, he frequently says how much is, how much he, he does miss, uh, you know, doing some of the camping and observing, uh, you know, that, that we do, which I, which I do really enjoy as well. And certainly have been missing, uh, this year. Yeah. It's not, not been as good. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I do miss it. Um, I'm really hoping, well, you know, <laughs> towards the end of August here, which we'll talk about uh, during new moon, uh, to get out to our favorite spot in Grasslands National Park and, you know, fingers crossed for September and, you know, maybe we try that, that fateful October trip again too. Yeah. I mean, that's probably our best bet almost at this point. Like, I don't know, like, you know, I, I, I was down in the grasslands recently and, um, you know, there's a lot of people from different places showing up and, and, you know, a lot of people have different views on, you know, how, uh, they're handling the pandemic. And, uh, personally I'm, you know, following the uh, government regulations and guidelines as I know you are. And uh, not everybody is though. And some people will just walk up to you and start talking and like, I, you know, they're, they're not, um, they're people from all over, uh, Canada that are, that are there. And, you know, there certainly is a heightened level of risk, uh, in those kind of situations. Uh, cause you don't know if, you know, they're, they're taking off from an area that has, has a lot of outbreaks and there is an outbreak currently going on in the area where Crosslands is, unfortunately. So, uh, definitely there are, are some risks there. Um, it's very unfortunate, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, just depending, just, just depending. So I'm, I might be doing most of my observing from, from a field that's less than 10 kilometers from my house. <laughs> this year. Yeah, uh, that's not a bad idea. In fact, that's one of the reasons like I, this past weekend, well, like right now, um, originally I had thought I would be in the grasslands this weekend. Um, but with everything going on, I thought, yeah, I, you know, I can enjoy some observing much closer to home and, and avoid some of that pandemic risk so that yeah that was my decision my hope is that in september particularly um, there's just less people traveling kids will be back in school yeah that uh, maybe you and i would be the only ones in grasslands uh, yeah maybe yeah maybe we'll we'll have to see um but like even talking to mike like he was saying it would be like it's just difficult to even go and meet up with him and the spots where he's going to observe because he's he's going to some of these campgrounds and you know, like it, it's far enough that we'd have to camp, but it, it's just, there's a lot of logistics and challenges. Like he's got his own self-contained unit and all that stuff. And I don't know about using like communal uh, restroom facilities and all this kind of stuff. And some of these areas that, uh, that are either having outbreaks or having people who are coming from places that are having outbreaks. So I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll just have to, st- like I, like where I observed last night, it's like, as far as, any kind of COVID goes, it is uh, very safe because nobody ever goes down this road. Um, I've never seen anybody on this road ever, except for a farmer uh, one afternoon and I went out there for a hike because it's just a beautiful spot. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think that uh, anybody's ever going to come along on this road. Um, there's, there's a bridge on it and uh, I think I drove my car across it once and I I think that I still uh, have the sweat stains on the seat from that experience. So it's, it's pretty, pretty sketchy. Nobody I think would choose to actually go down this road. So other than like the odd errant person who for whatever reason ended up on this road at night and was lost. um, Yeah, that would, 
that would be it. But it's dirt and it's it's crisscrossed with a creek, and and the bridges that go across it are like, you know, somebody just took some trees and made boards themselves, and I don't even know that there's nails in them. It's it's very sketchy. Um, so that's a that seems like a pretty safe spot. I think like if you and Mike came out there with me. Uh, we can we can be pretty safe observing there. So uh, I've been doing some writing, did some writing down in the grasslands, writing an article on Scorpius. I don't know if I was telling you about that or if I mentioned it in the past podcast. So. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned it in uh, that podcast we did about preparing to go to grasslands. Yeah, so I'm, I've been working a little bit more on that. And I did notice that in the handbook, for whatever reason, the double stars don't seem, it's funny, like, and I guess maybe that's one of my, sort of general complaints about maybe a lot of the stuff that's written about astronomy is it tends to be either more academic and maybe less practical oriented. Like, so like the double stars and some of the stars that are in the handbook for uh, Scorpius, like I'm looking at them and I'm like, why are like, these are not the ones I would choose. Right. So mm-hmm. um, sometimes I do find that a little bit of a challenge when I'm writing these. So I'm not sure how much of them uh, I'm going to include. I'm also writing an article on the comet Neowise. So now that we're kind of pretty much at the end of its uh, observable uh, time or apparition as, as we call it in uh, observing circles. Um, I've been, I, I went and did some sketching. My original intent was I would do a naked eye sketch, a binocular sketch and a through the telescope sketch. I would write an article about my observing and the comet and put that out. And then I started, uh, getting uh sketches from other observers that i that i know on on these very very small uh lists that i belong to um with i think like 20 and 30 people maybe and so i asked if i could use uh their sketches because frankly their sketches are much better and more interesting than mine um so kathleen sent me one today and uh uh bill from vancouver sent me one kathleen's here in saskatoon and uh Okay, ended up with like four or five different ones from a couple from the states and uh, different places, just different observers that that I know either personally or know over over email or through books. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of trying to get that out. I hope to finish it this weekend, but uh, actually the observing is getting in the way of my writing right now. So I guess it's not so bad. <laughs> You're a busy guy. Yeah, yeah, and I guess I got to work this week, kind of this darn work business. So yeah, I find work gets in the way of most things good in life. <laughs> it can, it can. I mean, I don't mind, you know, we're fortunate to have the jobs we have, but uh, yeah, it would be, it would, would be nice to have a little bit more time for, uh, for doing some of this stuff. So I think I'm going to take a week off around new moon in August, maybe do some, do some other, other observing. Maybe we can, can get out, but uh, yeah, I think we should start using this, this close in sight. Uh, a bit more. Um, I think it should be pretty easy because you can get on the bypass and then and then meet me there. Like you would just get off the the exit uh, close to my house. And in fact, that exit is if you if you stood on the lamp pole on top of that exit, you would be able to see my car headlights sitting on my observing site. Like it's that close to it. So. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, you can hear the cars, but you can't see them. It's just sort of this perfect arrangement. They're just out of sight. Huh. Yeah. Yep. I can't wait to check it out. I, I have that week booked off already, actually. Oh, we're done. So if you're off, we'll probably have some time to get mm. out then. Yeah. I would like to start using it. We'd like to start getting out there uh, a bit more. 
because uh, I don't know how long does it take you to drive to my house? Like what, fifteen minutes? Yeah, about fifteen minutes, depending yeah. on how some lights. It's not too bad. Yeah, so you'd be twenty minutes to there. For me, it's seven. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, it's uh, and it's it's good. I think it's pr- like your your Milky Way is better than from the uh, from Pilot Butte trails. So okay. Yeah, so so I think it's 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 I think it's a better site than that site in in some respects. There are some lights, um, but they're far. They're very bright, but they're far. But uh, anyway, I'm just going to adjust things here. My stitches are digging in, so my apologies for moving around. All right, so we've got some observing. We're starting to actually even talk about our observing plans for for August, which are going to center around the new moon, but. Uh, we have uh, Venus starting to get really bright in the morning sky. It's going to be at its greatest western elongation on the 13th. Mars is getting good. Have you taken a look at Mars yet? Like try to get a really good view of it? No. Um, I have a terrible obstruction to the east. Like I probably lose about, ooh, for my backyard, easily the first 30 degrees of the sky, maybe even a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so I have to wait a little bit till it starts to, um, you know, kind of poke around some of these structures. Yeah. I have absolutely the worst yard for light pollution, which people might find very strange. What, like, in, in fact, you've been in my house. I'm sure you thought, why did Chris pick this house? Well, I didn't pick the house for astronomy. First of all, I picked it because it was the one that my spouse liked the most. So, you know, there's that. And the other thing is, is that it does have amazing horizons there i lose very little of my horizon in fact i can get probably 80 to um, maybe 75 to 80 percent of the entire sky um, from somewhere on my property um, so even when the the comet was very low in the morning sky um, i went out to look at it from a dark site but when i came home i was able to kind of find it between there's like some trees around but they're all still pretty small and there's lots of light but uh i can pr- if the planets are up and and they're high enough to make it worthwhile seeing. I can see them. Uh, I did try to s- uh, do an observation of Mars from the grasslands, but it was still too low. I looked at it last night, just naked eye, very, very low still in the evening. So you'd have to get up and, you know, sunrise here is this morning, 5.18 a.m. So you really have to get up at like four, probably more like three to, to get a view. And it's still not going to be that high yet. So... I think there's probably a few more weeks uh, to come here. But as it starts getting uh, towards the end of the month, uh, Mars is going to grow from uh, approximately, like right now, I think it's just like 13, uh, you know, uh, arc uh, seconds in size, arc minutes in size to to 19. So it's going to get to be uh, quite a bit bigger towards the end of the month. So it's really going to start to... Uh, become well observed and then it should rise well it will rise higher and higher in the evening sky so that'll make it easier jupiter's now past opposition so it's well above the horizon uh as evening gets dark but as you and i noted um on any night that has like less than average seeing it's it's uh it's a bit of a mess up there and same with uh, saturn eh? yeah it's unfortunate um I'm going to keep observing it because, uh, you know, you can still sometimes get those moments of clarity and, and there's just so much to see on Jupiter in particular. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll still keep trying, but it, it is a little disappointing. Um, you know, it's slowly transitioning 
you know, to appear later and later in the year, which means higher and higher in the sky. Yep. And, uh, you know, it'll just take some time. Yeah. I, th- I think it'll get better here in, in the coming weeks, especially where, you know, one of the challenges is, you know, when it's not really even dark enough to, to start observing until 11 o'clock these nights is that your, your window for getting good seeing conditions is very narrow. So, you know, if you're only going out for an hour or so, like an hour and a half to sort of two hours is kind of max, like by one or one thirty in the morning, I'm pretty bagged. Um, and, uh, you know, once it's dark at 10, even though Jupiter and Saturn would be moving further away, you know, we're going to gain another hour to an hour and a half here over the coming month. So um, hopefully that will coincide with some better seeing conditions. And then as well, like, you know, if you can observe it another hour and a half, you're doing an hour and a half or two hours now, well, then you've just expanded to a three or four hour window where you, you have a better chance of getting better seeing versus, you know, what are the chances that that one hour a day is going to have good seeing? Well, it's very, that's like very low, right? So Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's the same thing. Um, Uranus is actually, and I didn't know this. I was reading this in the Observer's Handbook uh, this afternoon or this morning when I was, I was sort of making, I say making up the show notes. That's that's a bit of a stretch for what I did this month. You're, you're laughing because I just like, well, t- typically this is kind of what I do, which is, I, you know, in the RASC Observer's Handbook, they have the sky month to month and it's, and it's well done. It's been done this way for, I was going to say centuries, but it's more than a century actually. Um, and it breaks down different things. And I kind of highlight the things that I think are important. And then what I do is I type them out into some show notes and then maybe add some other stuff. And then this month, just with the tight timeline, and maybe I'm a bit lazy because I was observing late last night. I think if, if our viewers can understand one thing, it's that, you know, we're actually going out and doing astronomy more so than, than focusing on what the podcast content will be. We're, we're creating the content, but actually doing the astronomy not just creating content. Um, so yeah, I just highlighted them this week, took some photos and put them in and called those the show notes and sent Shane the link. <laughs> so, but anyway, I was reading about Uranus and it reaches um, the stationary point of the 15th, but that's not the thing that I thought was so interesting. Um, it reaches its highest point of declination, nearly plus 15 degrees. Of, so this is plus 15 degrees in um, declination. Uh, and that's the highest point since the early 60s. Hmm. I was just, yeah, I was like, really? Like, that seems kind of strange. But anyway, that's the way it is. So maybe, you know, we were talking about how low the planets um, Jupiter and Saturn were earlier. Well, maybe, uh, maybe here, if we, if we get a night, even with the moon up, maybe we should go out and try to hunt down uh, Uranus. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Yeah, could be could be some good fun, and then Neptune uh, is rising. I think they're both in Aquarius. It it didn't actually say which uh, constellation uh, Uranus is in, but I think they are both in Aquarius, um, or if it, if it isn't in Aquarius, I think it's just over the line of Pisces or something like that. But uh, uh, Neptune is in is in Aquarius as well. So I think they uh, they they can both be a little bit of a challenge. But do you have anything to add to to that bit? Well, uh, when we, when we try for Uranus, um, I'm curious about, you know, our ability to, to detect any of the color or just how it appears from a color standpoint, Mm -hmm. um, because we're using some smaller instruments. Um, I've definitely seen color in the past, like with an eight inch Dobsonian, Mm -hmm. uh, 
but with a three inch refractor or a four inch refractor, I'm just curious what, what we're able to see with that. Yeah. Um, I've been, I gotta say, um, you know, and I, I feel like we should hit Takahashi up for some sponsorship money. Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, and although I don't think anybody would say that the Takahashi is, is an inexpensive telescope. Um, they definitely are, are not, um, you know, at least not to me anyway. I think that anything that costs into the hundreds or even into the thousands, single digit thousands of dollars, and they are, they're around $2,000 or so, uh, is a significant amount of money. But, you know, one thing I was thinking about is that a lot of people will buy like, like a decent four inch or something around four inches. Okay. And then they'll buy something that's, that's like a, like a 60 millimeter or 70 millimeter for like the ultimate grab and go. But I'll tell you the Takahashi 100 DC, which I think is actually going to go away because they've brought out uh, the DZ now. Um, and I think that's unfortunate because I, I think the Takahashi 100 DC is like in many ways, the perfect telescope. I've looked through a lot of telescopes. I've owned a lot and it is quickly, very, very quickly becoming absolutely my favorite telescope because it's the same size, maybe I should say the same weight and just slightly bigger than most of the 80 millimeters that are out there. So it's the same weight, just a little bigger. You'd, in fact, not that much bigger, but it's, it punches so close to my five inch Parker mat for half the weight, so much easier to mount, so much easier to set up and tear down. And the, the images through it are just astounding how good the images are. So I actually think that it's a bargain for, for the price, even though it's like a $2,000 telescope. I actually think that it's, it's the best bargain out there for how good the images are. Considering that most, you know, or I shouldn't say most, about the most affordable four inches are about half the cost. Um, and they're just not gonna give you the images. And then most people who do buy those instruments, which are heavier instruments and more difficult to mount, more costly to mount instruments. So there is a trade-off there and there is a trade-off on cost where you're not paying as much, but you gotta buy a bigger mount. The Takahashi doesn't need that bigger mount. And then most of those people are gonna be unhappy with the portability of, of the larger, more inexpensive four inches that they're gonna wanna go out and buy a smaller telescope. And so now you're owning two instruments, one much smaller, one larger and heavy. Um, but I, I really think that with the Takahashi, you can just do away with that whole scenario. And I see that so much online at clubs and that. And I think that uh, between the cost of the larger telescope that requires a larger, more expensive mount and the smaller telescope and the smaller, less expensive mount, you can, you can easily, if people are going down that route, they can buy a Takahashi 100 DC and one mount and, uh, and you have, uh, I gotta say, I've looked through a lot of smaller, more inexpensive telescopes and similar telescopes and I, I, nothing comes close to this. I gotta say that. So. Well, and there's a lot to be said about keeping it simple and um, the, the, the lightweight aspect of a telescope is very important because like you say, it, it allows you to use lighter mounts and lighter tripods, um, which, you know, saves you money in the long run too, because, you know, the beefier heavyweight stuff just costs more money. Uh, it's a little bit harder to transport, you know, the, the 76 millimeter tack that I have sits on a tripod 
uh, just by the back door and I yeah. grab it all in one hand with eyepieces in the other hand and go outside. Um, you know, it's a very easy setup to move around the yard. Um, and even though the mount is a lightweight mount with a lightweight tripod, um, you know, I was pushing high magnifications Friday night without real, any real issue. Like it was uh, a pleasure to use. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a bit of a strange thing. Um, but this, this hundred millimeter, like I have what is commonly referred to as an ST80 as well. And, uh, it's, it's a 80 millimeter F5 achromatic. It's basically like the most inexpensive telescope. And you and I've talked about that quite a bit and we've, we've been modifying it and it's, it's really fun because it gives you about the widest field of view possible. But honestly, that telescope is so close in weight to the hundred that given, given the, the option, which I have is, is that I have this 99 super wide field, kind of fun to use telescope. Um, which I would have taken out if it was windy, like I mentioned the dusk before. Um, but without the wind, there's no way I wouldn't take the Takahashi over that. Like, there's just no comparison between a four inch and an 80, especially like between a 99 and, you know, a, a $2,000 telescope uh, that's of Takahashi quality. Um, there's just no comparison. Um, so you take the Takahashi every time mm -hmm. in that situation. Um, and the weight, there's no weight, like, like the, the uh, F5 80 millimeter is a little bit more awkward to handle than the TAC. So it weighs maybe a pound lighter, maybe one pound lighter. And so it's so close in weight, you just get so much more with, with the four inch versus the, uh, the three inch. But let's get on and talk about what we're going to observe this month. So <laughs> bit of a bit of a tangent there, but uh, yeah, I've just really, Really enjoyed that telescope. On Sunday the second, so this is going to be a. When is this? This is just Sunday coming up, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's coming up fast. You know, I start teaching my class a week and a half now on the fifth of August. I'm going to start teaching my astronomy oh, wow. class via Zoom through the university. I did ask if I could promote it, and they said nothing. So I don't know. I, I don't know if people need to be in Regina or what. And because I haven't done it before, I'm like, maybe I don't want to drag people into this experiment just yet. So I'm going to do, it's a very short, I'm just doing four, four sessions over four weeks and we'll see how it goes. And I can't stress this enough. I have some concerns. <laughs> so <laughs> um, one of the things I like to do is, you know, cause you've attended my classes before is I like to show like video clips and that, oh, yeah. that forms like, a, like sort of one of the core things that I do, like talk about something and I'll show a bit of a video and, you know, use some online resources. And I'm not sure how that's going to work. I'm not sure how some of the other stuff is going to work. So I don't know. There's 10, 10 willing participants and they've, I think they've offered it to them at, at an extreme discount. I think like 70% off or something so that we can kind of run the experiment. So um, once we do that though, I think kind of once I get to the end of that four week session and and know that uh, that nobody's out uh, any money for it, then uh, then then I think I'll be more comfortable with uh, with promoting it to to a wider audience. So I'm kind of excited to do it. Yeah, but that's interesting. Coming up on Sunday, August second, we're going to have Jupiter just 1.5 degrees north of the moon. So Saturn that night is going to be two degrees north of the moon. I think it's kind of like as it moves across during the evening, probably as evening begins. Um, Jupiter is just going to be right above the moon and then kind of 
towards uh, sunrise. Uh, it's going to have uh, switched over uh, just below Saturn. So that's going to be pretty interesting to take a look at. These, were, these have been occurring for the past several months, um, but I think this is the first one where they're going to be easily visible in the evening sky. People are going to be looking up and going, I think this is going to be actually pretty impressive. I don't know about you, Shane, but having Jupiter, Saturn, and the moon up there together, I think people are going to walk out, especially because people have been um, following the Neowise story and kind of getting interested in the night sky, even if I know a lot of people have struggled to see it because it is kind of a faint thing. But this, I think people are going to look up and go, I didn't see that comet thing, but what is, like something's happening here, right? We got three things that are super bright. And they're all within like what, two or three degrees, did you say? Two degrees. Wow. So like a common refractor will allow you to see all three objects in one field of view conceivably if you have the right eyepiece. In yeah, sorry. I might have, might have misspoke a little bit. So they're going to be, the moon is going to be within two degrees of Jupiter and then it's going to move over and be within two degrees of oh, Saturn late, later in the evening. So we, yeah, I, the way I said it, I can understand. Like, didn't mean to do that. Uh, but I think when it's in between, they're not that far apart. I think they're about six or seven degrees apart. Yeah. So like a low power pair of binoculars. Um, and yeah, I, I, think just the, I think just the unaided eye view is going to be interesting. And what's going to be interesting is I think that even a very casual um, night sky watcher who goes out early in the evening and has now been more sky aware ever since trying to see Neowise is going to look up and say, Hey, that's neat. The moon is just below this really bright star to uh, to the right of this other bright star. And then, you know, maybe when they haul the trash out later on that night or something, they're going to look up and go, whoa, it's switched stars. And I think that's really going to, you know, although you can see the moon move night to night, um, and people might recognize that it's in a different spot. Typically, it's not going to be so close to two things that are so bright. So I think... Uh, that's going to be really neat. And for people with telescopes, of course, they can go out that night and, and take, a, take an actual look at the, at the planets those nights. And the moon's going to be nearly full on those nights as well. But those planets are so bright that uh, should still be able to, uh, to see them quite well because the moon's full on the third. So, of course, we don't really have that much interest in looking at the moon when it's full. No, there's just not much to see. No. Uh, now, that said, I'm one of the few people that, <laughs> that has gone out. Apparently, this is a strange thing. I think I might have mentioned it before and sketched the moon. I've done a lot of lunar sketching of the full moon um, without any optical aid. Right, that, yes. That, that's sort of one of my, uh, one of my deals. It's, it's sort of been interesting to do. So that is one of the things you can do when, when there is uh, a full moon. Now, going ahead a little bit more, sorry, just got a bit of a pull on my stitch there. Um, on the 9th, which is the following Sunday, Mars is then gonna be just 0.8 degrees north of the moon. And the moon, it says in the handbook, will actually occult, meaning it goes in front of Mars. And it has this like star cross or something like, okay, well, where, where does this occur? Can Shane and I see it from Saskatchewan or maybe some listeners can see it from, well, Shane, do we have any listeners in Antarctica? 
I don't think any have popped up there. Yeah. <laughs> Is so, that the only place to see it? Apparently, maybe like on the very southern tip of South America. I think there's like this, and I can't recall, like I, I watched a documentary on this town that's on the very southern tip where people take the, the research vessels or the cruises to Antarctica. So basically, um, if you have to be going to Antarctica in the next couple of weeks, <laughs> set, set Sunday the 9th, uh, on your on your calendar. So, you know, fun fact is that part of the world is actually on the same time zone as Saskatchewan. Okay. Don't know if you know that. So uh, I did not. No. Yes. So oddly enough, when it's yeah, and you could theoretically, if you were looking at Mars that night, and it was like eight o'clock or nine o'clock or whatever, um, I guess well, more like nine or ten o'clock rises. Um, you you would you could look at it at the same time as us and talk on the phone in real time, same time. Nobody's up in the middle of the night or anything. It's kind of a strange thing to think about because that seems really far away. It seems like it should be in this this odd time zone or something. So anyway, so yeah, Mars is going to pair up with the Moon that night. Then on the twelfth, now I don't think I mentioned this. I saw some really bright meteors last night, and so did Kathleen up in Saskatoon. Oh really? Uh, okay. Yeah. So there were some. That's. Uh, I texted you um, while I was at observing. I said, are you still observing? And you were like, no, I'm looking at a bright fire. I was like, okay, like no worries. Um, because I, I was seeing these bright meteors coming in and I was wondering if you were seeing those as well. But. You know, another interesting note, I didn't see this Friday night when I was out observing, but apparently the Aurora really kicked up and there was a lot of photographs and I kind of got the sense that it, it wasn't really forecasted either that it caught some people off guard, but I might be wrong on that part of it. Um, hmm. lot, lots of nice photos Friday night. Yeah. I think I saw nice. some of the photos. Um, personally, I'm not a big Aurora watcher. I'm happier when the Aurora is not kicking up. Um, Cause I like to look at deep sky objects. So uh, it's neat to see once in a while, but we're far enough North here that it it's, it can border on irritating from time to time. So. <laughs> yeah, which some people are, are probably just shaking their head at you right now thinking, I've never seen it before. <laughs> yeah. How could you not like it? You know, it's, it was really it's, cool the first few times, but yeah, yeah, after the first couple of years here, I was like, yeah, the Aurora can get kind of old um, when, we're, when we're having it that frequently. So um, we haven't been having it as frequently now, so I've been happier um yeah because there's no like aurora filter like it just sucks like like you know if you're gonna go out and look at aurora that's cool you pack up a lawn chair or something take a bottle of water and some snacks and go and sit in a field or something and just look at the sky you don't need it but when you pack up all of your gear and you make an observing plan and then you go out and it's just like really horrible light pollution and you can't really observe and you can sit there and look at the aurora if you want but after you've seen the i kind of feel like after you've seen like the aurora pile of times you've kind of had the experience, right? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know what other kind of Aurora experience I could have. It's neat. And if we don't have it, like right now, if I saw it, I would, I would probably watch it because it's been like a year since I've seen a good Aurora display. But uh, anyway. Well, we're coming out of the solar minimum. So the Aurora activity should start picking up here over the next couple of years and slowly increase. Um, yeah, well, hopefully, so hopefully not. Yeah, good good news for some, not so good news for you and I. <laughs> yeah. But on the 12th, we have the Perseid meteor shower. Yes. 
So the most active of the year uh, during warm months. It's, during warm the, months, yeah. Yeah. There's the uh, the is it the Orinids in December that are like the best shower of the year, but the Geminids, which usually Geminids, yes, yeah, yes. they usually land on about the second week of December, and I've gone out to watch them on a few occasions, and I've seen lots of them, but you know it's not that pleasant. Like a buddy of mine, we would go out and watch them every year from some. We pick a different like field, like though I'm not from Saskatchewan, where I grew up was like the farming region in the Maritimes. So we have like all these big fields too. And we go out in these fields and we watch them and it was neat, but it wasn't that much fun because it was so bloody cold watching the Geminids. But the Perseids, like you were saying, they're the best one that occurs during uh, the warmer months. And there's just a last quarter moon that night. So the moon does rise later. Um, yeah, and you, even when the moon was up last night, like I could still see some pretty bright meteors coming in, and although it's not quite first quarter yet, it, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a fairly good show. Hopefully, do you ever see a really good Perseid meteor shower display? Yeah, yeah. Before I was really into astronomy, um, I remember one night being out, and I just couldn't believe it. It was like a nonstop streaks across the sky. the The Perseid meteor shower can peak at over two hundred meteors per hour, so that's a crazy rate, you know, that's yeah. a lot of streaks going across the sky. Um, but meteor showers are sort of similar to comets in that they're very unpredictable. There's, mm -hmm. there's always forecasts out there uh, as to how busy or uh, yeah, I guess, you know, how, how many meteors you may see per hour. Um, but it's, I don't even know what science goes into that because it's, it's very difficult to predict. You really just have to get outside of the city again to somewhat dark skies uh, all you need is a lawn chair. Um, you do not want binoculars or anything like that. You want to take in as much of the sky as you can and uh, just sit up and, and look at the sky. And you'll definitely see meteors that night. How many? Who knows? Yeah. And, and a couple I saw last night were bright. Like they were like first magnitude kind of thing. They were very bright. And okay. uh, yeah, the best shower I ever saw was probably five or six years ago when... Um, went to Mount Cobau for the Mount Cobau star party. And I went sort of just before the main part of the star party kicked off and did a couple nights and uh, showed up after the long drive. And I, I just didn't feel like setting up my gear. And there was not that many observers, maybe there were seven or eight people kicking around. And uh, one guy had a pretty big telescope and I said, Hey, look, like I'm kind of bagged. Like, do you mind if I bum some views off here or whatever? And, I'm just going to look for meteors and kind of look through other people's, just see what other people are, are looking at. And there was like a few people with like some eight and 10 inch dogs and stuff like that. And so I was like, you know, this will be fine. Cause I'm, you know, I'll do some observing them when I get too tired. I'll just go to bed without having to tear down. And, uh, so we were do, I was doing that for a while and I was, I was up, I hit a pretty big telescope and I was up on a ladder looking through it. And suddenly I'm like, you know, there's a lot of meteors coming in folks. And then, you know, we decided, you know, we would just sort of stand there and watch for a while. So we watched for like five minutes and we saw like 20 and uh, we went, whoa, like, let's get some chairs. And we just kind of, they packed their scopes up and uh, we just sat out and watched the meteors for about two hours. And, you know, yeah, we saw hundreds of them. So. Yeah, that's very neat. And really from now until the end of August, if people are out uh, under darker skies, you're going to see way more meteors during this next six weeks than you would, you know, most other times of the year. And they're all mostly Perseids that you're seeing. It's just, they do peak on, on the 12th. That's when you'll see 
the majority of them because that's when Earth is passing through the densest part of this debris field uh, left over from a comet. Yeah. And Venus is back. <laughs> oh! Yeah, so hopefully I can get out and, and take, a, take a view of that. Uh, it's going to be a greatest Western elongation on the 13th. Back, I think it was like the 27th or something like that of March. It was at greatest eastern elongation. So it was in the evening sky, and this is going to be in the morning sky. I saw it the other morning. I was like, what the heck is that? It's really, like, it really came up fast. Like, for a long time, I think it was just on the horizon. I didn't see it, but now it's uh, nice and high. Are you going to get up and observe it in the morning? Uh, unlikely. <laughs> I'll be honest. Unlikely. Yeah, I think, I think I'll start trying to observe it again uh, here pretty soon and, and maybe do some sketching of it. I, I do quite enjoy it um, with the 100 millimeter versus the 60. So I'm kind of excited to see what kind of, what kind of cloud formations the, uh, this great 100 millimeter attack will reveal. On the 15th, we're going to start getting some of these double shadow transits again on Jupiter. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. And on the, on the 15th as well, uh, Venus is going to be four degrees south of the moon. So, you, you know, if somebody was, was so inclined, they could probably get a photo of the moon with uh, most of the planets here over the, over the coming weeks. Yeah, you're right. On the 17th, I'm not sure how visible this would be because the moon is going to be very small, but it says the moon is 1.7 degrees north of the beehive cluster. But I don't really know that's an observable, observable event because on the 19th, the moon is going to be new. And that's probably the week that we both have booked off work because we'll try to get in some deep sky observing that week. Yes. Yep. Always focus uh, when new moon is in the month and plan your observing around that. Exactly. Exactly. And on the 22nd, another set of these uh, double shadow transits. So uh, the best way to figure out if those are visible is actually to run it through your planetarium software because uh, for some people it'd be visible for other people it won't. So as we get closer to the data, see it's like the 15th, it's like four hours universal time. And on the 22nd, it's six hours and 30 minutes universal time. So um, yeah, I think it's going to be like, yeah, visible here, late evening, something like that. So, you know, if it's clear on those nights, like that's a reason to head out. So we have a asteroid at opposition on the 28th. I think you like to observe asteroid sheen, maybe? I'm intrigued by them, but I, I've, I've really not spent much time observing them. Um, so it's actually, it's, it's on my long list of uh, observing projects is to spend some time with asteroids, but uh, I haven't well, there you really go. much of it yet. Series on the 28th. I'll lock it into the calendar. You could. You could start an entire series of asteroid. <laughs> Although it's spelled with a C and E-R-E-S is nothing like. Yeah. And then on the 29th, Jupiter is going to be 1.4 degrees north of the moon. And Saturn is going to be 2 degrees north of the moon. So we're going to have, you know, in the same month, although, you know, people often talk about the blue moon being the two full moons in the month. I don't know what it is when you have Jupiter, Saturn paired with the moon twice on the same month. So uh, the month is going to kind of end the way it starts with uh, this pairing of Jupiter and Saturn. It starts on the second with a pairing and then our last main event for the month is, is on the 28th with another pairing of Jupiter and Saturn and the moon. It's going to be kind of neat. Uh, I think people are really going to take notice of this after Comet Neowise. Yeah, yeah. 
when you get a collection of planets close to the moon like that, we, we, we talked about it on one of the previous podcasts, but what's neat about it is it just makes it so much easier to find the planets when you know on certain dates they're, you know, within a stone's throw of the moon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, I think that in general, people will, the general population, I think will notice this. I think it will be a thing. I think people will take like photos of their cell phone and then post them and then find out that these are planets. And yeah, and it could be, a, could be an additional boon. I know they're selling more telescopes. They've sold more telescopes in the past four months at the telescope dealers than they have in the past four years or something like that. I heard. So I think people are really um, getting into astronomy during the pandemic of all things. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's very neat. Very neat indeed. So that's sort of the end of, of my very um, lazy notes that I made for what to observe in the night sky this, this coming month. Shannon, I didn't know if, if you uh, had any additional objects or interesting things that people might want to uh, go and take a look at or not. I haven't looked up. I know there was another comic comet lemon that was around, but I hear it's a bit of a, Lemon? Lemon. Uh, as bright as the OIs, maybe? So. Yeah, that, that was my only comment was, um, you know, NeoWise was a, a wonderful treat. I hope everybody got out to see it. Um, but those events are quite rare where we have a, a bright comet and there's no real bright comets um, in the forecast right now. Yeah. So probably the, like, the big things are the planets and the Perseids in August. And, you know, maybe one thing I'll add about the new moon is it's probably my favorite new moon of the year because it happens during time, a time when the temperatures are still warm. You know, it's, it's a nice time to be outside, but it's starting to get dark early. You know, on, in the third week of August, we can start to get darkness, you know, probably around 10 or 11 um, and then oh, yeah. really, if we want, we can observe till about three or so, maybe even four in the morning and, and yeah. be quite dark, uh, which is fantastic. Um, you know, up, up until the end of May, we really don't have much darkness until this point in August. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited for this new moon because we can get in lots of good dark, uh, observing. Yeah, no, it sounds, sounds good. Well, unless you don't have anything else to add, then maybe, uh, We'll wrap it up here. How does that sound? That is a wrap, my friend. All right. So how can people stay in touch with us? Maybe we should tell them that before, uh, before we take off. Yeah. So you can find us on Twitter at Actual Astronomy. Uh, we try to tweet out some photographs of our equipment or things we're doing, as well as uh, retweet or tweet out some extra additional resources to help you do your observing and to support what we're talking about in the podcast, just to provide a little more context. Uh, For example, you know, we were talking a lot about observing Jupiter in the last episode. So I'll be tweeting out a link to Christopher Goh's website, who does a lot of outstanding Jupiter imaging, which uh, it's a handy resource. So if you're actually looking at Jupiter, say through a telescope and you want to confirm some features that you've seen, go to Chris's site. He's got some awesome imagery and it'll help, you understand what you saw no relation Uh, to this chris no no different chris (laughs) entirely yeah his his photos are amazing and he's in the philippines and i'm not um and he images from his i believe if i'm recalling this correctly it's like the roof of his apartment building or something and i've seen photos of the setup and it it, it couldn't be like in a way like a more common 
place where somebody uh, would have access to in a in a moderately sized city, um, and to see that he's doing images which rival the Hubble Space Telescope, and he's such a good photographer that they've given him time on like the Keck Observatory, and I think he's even at Hubble Time as well and stuff. Oh wow. Yeah, his his images are amazing. I, I go to his site lots, so we'll tweet that out. And if you want to email us, we are actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks so much, Shane. Thank you, everyone, and thanks for listening.